scripture reading today is from Psalm 119, verses 9 to 16. How can a young man keep his way pure? By, by guarding it according to your word, with my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight, as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. I will not forget your word. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for that for all of us this morning, that we will pay attention to your word, that you give us spiritual eyes to see, an understanding heart, ears to hear. Open our hearts, Father. Plow them up this morning. Plant good seed within them through your word. Let your Holy Spirit have his way in our life. We invite your Holy Spirit to come now and to speak to us change us to be more like Christ, that we might live out the life of Christ in the world today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, for the past uh, year and a half, I've been preaching through a series called The Story, God's Story. Uh, it begins in uh, Genesis chapter 1 and 2 with creation, and then we see the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3. And even yet in Genesis chapter 3, right after the fall of man, we see God promising a rescuer, someone who would stomp on Satan and take him out and who would rescue mankind from Satan's sin and death. So when we come to the Gospels, the good news of Jesus, found in the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see that fulfillment or that promise fulfilled. Uh, this is best summarized in Galatians 4, 4 and 5, so let me read these two verses to you. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. That is the gospel. That is the good news. That is the promised rescue fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Well, last month we looked at the identity of Christ, his identity. In other words, who is Jesus? And if you remember, I gave you my top three answers to who Jesus is. I mean, you could say so many things about Jesus, but my top three is that, first of all, Jesus is God, Jesus is man, and because he's both holy God and in the form of man, he's the one then that can bridge that gap between God and man. And so he is qualified then to be the only Savior of the world. Jesus is God. Jesus is man. Jesus is the Savior of the world. That is his key identity. And at the end of the message, I shared a quote from uh, C.S. Lewis. And speaking of Jesus, this is what he said. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and worship him as Lord and God. Those are the only choices that he's given us. Well, today we're going to continue to explore the good news of Jesus in the Gospels by looking at his words. We looked at his identity. Now we'll look at his words. 
And because we're limited by time, I'm going to focus on three categories this morning. First of all, Jesus' words on kingdom living. Jesus' words on kingdom mysteries or secrets that were not revealed, but when he came, then were revealed to the church. And then Jesus' words on kingdom entrance. In other words, how do I get into this kingdom? And keep in mind that kingdom, which is just God's rule, uh, refers both to a spiritual kingdom initiated at Jesus' first coming and then a physical kingdom that will be realized at the second coming of Christ. But before we jump into these three categories, let me share with you a few things of people's, what people said in the Gospels in response to Jesus' words. In Luke 19, 47 and 48, says, And he was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him. But they did not find anything they could, they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. When people heard Jesus speak, the words of Jesus, they, they clung to them. They hung on to those words. And then in Luke 20, verse 26, says, And they were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said, but marveling at his answer, they became silent. When Jesus was having discourse with some of his enemies, people who despised him and wanted to kill him, and they would ask him questions or try to test him or trick him in some way, they couldn't. All they could do is just marvel at the truth and the wisdom and the words of Jesus. And then later on in Luke chapter 20, verse 39 and 40, it says, Then some of the scribes, again, some of those uh, enemies, answered, Teacher, you have spoken well. Even his enemies said, You've spoken well. For they no longer dared to ask him a question. And then in the Gospel of John, chapter 7, it says, The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees, who said to them, why did you not bring him? In other words, they were going to arrest Jesus. Go get him. Bring him back. And when, he, when they came back empty-handed, they said, Why didn't you bring him? The officers said, No one ever spoke like this man. I mean, we've all heard great speakers, orators, people who, inspired by God, or perhaps just, you know, have a great personality or whatever, and we sort of marveled at the way they could, you know, you... you you know, they spoke. and out, But here they said, no one ever spoke like this man. And I, that reminded me of the time in the Garden of Gethsemane where the, the, probably some of those same officers came and they were there to arrest Jesus. And he said to them, you know, who, who do you seek? And he says, we, we're seeking Jesus. When Jesus says, I am he, remember what happened to him? They fell over. I mean, Jesus' words have power. No one ever spoke like Jesus. Uh, this is what Jesus said about, uh, about, him, about what he said himself about his own words. He said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. There might end up being a new heaven and a new earth, but Jesus' words are forever. They'll never pass away. And then the writer of Hebrews says this about the power of Jesus' words. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, and we are all right now in those last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. 
and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus' words not only created the universe, but the whole universe is held together by his word. Now, if Jesus can hold the universe together by his word, think what his word can do for us. It's that powerful, the word of Jesus. I feel like praying again. Father, thank you for these glorious truths, these responses from even the enemies of Jesus, how they recognize that he was no ordinary man. The words he spoke came from somewhere other than earth. They penetrated hearts. People fell over as a result of them. People couldn't answer. They were dumbfounded. They were amazed, astonished. No one ever spoke like Jesus. And you've given us his words. But Lord, some of us who've known you for a while, who've read the word, who have heard the word, sometimes we become so familiar with it that we don't hear it afresh each time we read it, each time we hear it. But I pray today that you'll not let that happen, Lord. Help us to hear the words of Jesus. And let them impact our lives in ways that we know that only God, that you can do. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's first of all look at Jesus' words on kingdom living. And if you have your Bible or uh, a device that you want to open up to Matthew chapter 5, I would encourage you to do that. Some of these short verses that we're reading within the context of our message, we're putting up on the screen. But when it comes to some of the major passages, we'd like for you to have a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, there's some back by the offering box. Feel free to grab one of those even now if you want to. But we just think it's good to train people to open the Word of God and not just look up on a screen. Go figure, right? All right, Matthew chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 1 through 12, 1 through 12. And uh, these are normally referred to as the Beatitudes. In other words, it's the attitudes that save people, those who know Jesus, should have. And the word blessed, uh, sometimes people just say that's happy. Uh, blessed is the man, happy is the man. It's probably more like joyful, uh, a deep joy we have because of these things as a result of God's favor. So you might think of blessed as, yes, happy, but it also means joyful, and it also means favored one. When we're blessed by God, we're favored by him in Christ, all right? So let me read Matthew 5, 1 through 12. Also, this is the whole teaching of chapters 5 through 7. You probably know is referred to as the Sermon on the Mount because it was kind of on a mountainside. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed, joyful, favored are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor in spirit just means that we recognize our spiritual bankruptcy without Christ. That we have nothing within us that is of a spiritual nature at all. We're poor, uh, which 
should make us very humble and needy in terms of Christ. Blessed or joyful, favored are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. As a result of our spiritual need, uh, we should mourn over that. We should cry out to God and confess our need. And when we do that, then God comforts us. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Meek means gentle or humble. You see, it's not the strong and the proud and the arrogant and the boastful that will inherit the earth. Oh, it, it perhaps looks like for a time that they're, they're gathering a lot of material things or whatever, but it, it's all going to be burned. It's, it's not going to last. The humble, the people who realize they need a Savior, that they're in, in spiritual debt, that they're in need of someone to rescue them, those are the ones will, that will inherit the earth. Then it says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. You ever hunger and thirsted for something? You wanted to buy a new car or a bicycle or a video game or just something that you really hungered and kind of thirsted for, your soul wanted it so badly, and then you got that thing, and about a month later you're thinking, what was the big deal about this anyway? I mean, we've kind of all done that at one point in our life or another. Hopefully, we don't keep repeating those kinds of things. But when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, when you wake up in the morning and say, God, I want to walk with Jesus today. Holy Spirit, I want to be filled. I want to keep my eyes fixed upon you. I want to have your heart. I want to realize that I'm here for a purpose, and that purpose is not me. It's for you to flow through me and to touch the lives of other people. When you hunger and thirst for God and for his word and following his purpose in your life, God says you will be satisfied. You'll be full. Happy is the person who realizes that. Blessed, you're favored. If that's your attitude, then God has captured your heart. And if you don't feel captured this morning, it's just a, you're just a prayer away from being captured. Ask God. I, I probably say that every day. Lord, capture my heart today. Capture my mind. Even if I resist, take me captive. Let me be yours. Let me be your servant today. Verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now, how can those of us who are spiritual, spiritually bankrupt be merciful? only because of the mercy of God in our life, right? His mercies are new every morning. We sang about it this morning. So if I'm experiencing, experiencing God's mercy on a, a daily basis, then I'm filled up with that, and I can offer it to others. I can be merciful. We're, not, we're really not capable of being merciful unless we're filled up with God's mercy. So really... When you extend mercy to somebody that perhaps deserves condemnation or judgment or correction or, you know, whatever it might be, you're just, you're, what you're doing is allowing God's mercy to flow through you and to touch the life of another person and to say, it's okay. I forgive you. I release, I release you from the dead. You, you extend favor and love even though it's not deserved. Why would, you, why would a person do that? only because God extended it to you. It's the only way you can. You can't do it otherwise. It's impossible. Verse 8. 
Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Pure in heart, wow. Not sure I always have a pure heart. But remember Ezekiel, you know, in Ezekiel, uh, what is it, 20, 36, right before the dry bones in that episode in Ezekiel, God says in this new day, this new covenant that he's going to give to the people of Israel and, and through them to the world, he says, I'm going to give them a new heart. Not a heart of stone, but a heart of flesh. And I'm going to give them a new spirit, small s, and then it says the Spirit of God, capital S. I'm going to give them the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give them a new heart. And so even though you may not feel that or see that or think that consistently every day, in Christ Jesus, you have a new heart. He has given you not only his righteousness, but his purity as well. And when you have the purity of Christ, you'll have a clear vision. You'll be able to see God for who he is. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Unless you have the Prince of Peace, unless being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you don't have peace with God and the peace of God, you're not going to be able to offer peace to people. You will not be a peacemaker. You'll be somebody who stirs up people. You'll be someone who pushes people away creates division and divisiveness and all those kinds of things. To be a true peacemaker, you have to experience that peace. You see, all of these things really are based on receiving from the Lord those things so that you can offer them to others. It's not you trying harder to have these attitudes and to say, okay, I'm going to be like this today, I'm going to be like this today. No, you just need to worship and seek Jesus and fix your eyes on him. Remember who he is and what he's already done in your life and what he's in the process of of doing to transform you. And then you can offer those things to other people. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You can even experience that blessedness, that happiness, that favor of God, even in the midst of trials and great anguish, even in the midst of persecution, especially when you're being persecuted for your testimony or, you know, standing up for Christ or sharing the word of God. It's happened to people in in history past, and it will continue to, to happen. But guess what? Great is your reward in heaven. Even if people don't hear you out, even if people stand against you, I mean, remember Jesus, a perfect person who never sinned, always loved and cared for people, came to die for the whole world, and all sorts of religious leaders persecuted him and and stood against him and ultimately helped put him on the cross. If a perfect man is going to have enemies and persecutors, then it just makes sense that people who are still dealing with the sin within us are going to experience that from people from time to time. So just remember, it may be tough 
in this life because of a, we live in a fallen world. We have an enemy in Satan. We have fallen minds and bodies that, that are not fully sanctified and glorified yet. And yet in Christ, the day is coming. He began the spiritual kingdom when he came the first time. When he comes the second time, he'll establish this physical kingdom and then Jesus will reign and rule with and will be with him. And those things will be put aside. But for now, those are the things that we endure. Things that help us to grow up. Things that help us to make hard choices and decide, this is not a God. I don't need this in my life. I'm barking up the wrong tree here. I need to focus more time in God's word. Make time, like Don says once in a while, for silence and solitude to hear the voice of God speaking to us but we've always got some other kind of noise going on, or we're always on the run. To experience these things, you've got to spend time with God. All right, let me move on. After the Beatitudes, then Jesus begins to teach in verse 21 and some of the rest of the chapter, and he sort of raises the bar of what it looks like to have kingdom righteousness. All right, here's what I mean. Look at verse 21, chapter 5. Jesus says, You've heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder. And, wherever, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, now he's going to raise the bar, okay? I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. In other words, even just being angry and, and saying derogatory things about a person Jesus condemns that and says it's not just a matter of murdering somebody, but when you actually think those kinds of thoughts in your heart or maybe when you say those things in your words, Jesus says that's, that's not the righteousness you need to, be, need to have. You know, look at verse 20. I forgot to share this with you because verse 20 is kind of a key to this whole passage. It says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh-oh. If you're living in that day, you're respecting the scribes and the Pharisees. I mean, they are the spiritual elite. You respect them. You look up to them. They are following the law, at least the physical aspects of it, the minutia of the law. But Jesus says you're not doing the larger things of, of the law, justice and love and mercy, those things you lack. So Jesus said, if you're just trying to, if this is the bar for you to be like the scribes and the Pharisees, that righteousness will not get you into the kingdom of heaven. And so then he begins to go into these things. And so, sorry, I missed speaking that. So he's talking about heart issues, inner issues, not just, not just the outward physical things, all right? Uh, go to verse 27 now says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Again, inward attitudes, inward thoughts, inward desires. Jesus said it's not just about a good appearance. It's about letting me transform you and make you into somebody different than you are now. Jesus is not abolishing the law. He said, he said in earlier verses, says, I came to fulfill the law. But it's more than just fulfilling the physical aspects, the outward aspects of the law. 
the law was meant to show us our sin and our need of a savior and come to God and say, God, change me, transform me. Give me that new heart. Give me that mind on a daily basis. Let me have the mind of Christ. All right, go to verse uh, 31 now. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Remember what Moses said, I think it's in Matthew chapter 19, where he said, well, Moses, uh, well, they were quoting Moses, saying Moses allowed people to divorce their wife. And Jesus said, well, it was because of your, their hardness of heart. It was never intended to be that way. And then he takes them back to Genesis chapter 2 about a man and a woman being made one and what God has put together, let no man separate. So again, he's, he's raising the bar. Go to verse uh, 43. Oh, I'm sorry, go to verse 38. 38. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles, like Roman soldiers that would force people to carry some of their belongings along the road. If they, if they say, you're carrying this for a mile, go ahead and do it too. In other words, don't retaliate. I think that was called lex talionis, the law of retaliation. Jesus is saying, okay, that's, that's at one level, but I'm saying to you now, don't demand your right. If someone slaps you, don't slap them. It doesn't have to be an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. I came to set people free from the law. Here's the new law. Submit to God's plan for your life, and if somebody says to you, do this or that, then if at all possible, do it, as long as you're not violating the law or, or not hurting anybody. Uh, look at verse 43. It says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Okay, I'll love my neighbors. I'll love my family. I'll love those who love me. But those that hate me, you want me to love them and even pray for them? And Jesus says, yes. He's raising the bar. Remember, here were the Pharisees and the scribes' righteousness. And Jesus says, if your righteousness doesn't exceed them, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Wow, where is Jesus going with this? We'll look at verse 48. You, therefore, must be perfect as our heavenly Father is perfect. At that point in time, I would say, we're in big trouble. Without Jesus, we're in big trouble. Because only in Christ are we made perfect. Only in Christ are we declared to be justified, sanctified, and glorified. Only in Christ are we in the process of being transformed. And as Paul said, I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it at the day of Christ. So we will become like Jesus. We won't be God, but we won't have sin in our hearts. 
We won't have to battle that anymore. We'll have pure and righteous and holy thoughts and, and we'll always love others above ourselves. And we be, we'll be willing then to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow Jesus as Grant's been preaching on the last few weeks. All right? All right, so hang in there. Let's go to Jesus' words on kingdom mysteries. And if you will, turn to Matthew chapter 13. And uh, in Matthew 13, if you're familiar with this chapter, it's all these different parables that talk about the kingdom, the kingdom that's come, but also the kingdom that is coming. It's here, but not quite fully yet, all right? And a parable, by the way, just means that it's a truth that you know that you put alongside a truth that's been hidden that you don't know. So parable just means coming alongside something that, that you already know and putting alongside a truth that now Jesus is going to take that known and teach you the unknown. That's what a parable is, all right? Let me, uh, let me read verses 1 through 9 here in, in Matthew 13. You're familiar with this probably, the, the, the sower and the, and the seed. That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into the boat, into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. Uh, uh, do this just for a minute for me. Will you stand up? Just everybody stand up. All right. Now I'm just going to sit down here and take it easy and preach the rest of this message, and I want you guys just to stand, because this is the way Jesus did it. He sat, the people stood. You all right, everybody comfortable with that? It actually feels kind of good to sit down. <laughs> you get to my age, you need a break every once in a while, you know what I mean? Okay, sit down. I just thought that sort of seemed funny as I read it this morning. I thought, oh, I'm going to pull this one on them, see what they think. So here's Jesus. He's in a boat. He's sitting down, as the rabbis did when they taught in those days, and, and the crowd just there on, on the beach and listening to Jesus. Verse 3. And he told them things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, and again, in those days you have seed in a sack in front of you, just putting your hand in and just kind of throwing it as you walk along, okay? So it's going to land on all sorts of different types of places. He went out to sow, and some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. And other seeds fell on the rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. And other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. And then he says, he who has ears, let him hear. See, Jesus is not just talking about a farmer sowing seed and the type of soil that it falls. That's the known part of what they know. They were aware of how people sowed the seed and how some of it produced and some of it did not. So now Jesus explains this to his disciples, not to the crowds, not to everybody, but just to those who were following him, whose hearts he had already won, whose hearts he'd already captured. And he wants them to know the truth. These are some of these mysteries that he's explaining to them. So go to verse 18. It says, Then hear the parable of the sower. When anyone, anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. In other words, somebody kind of like the path, a hard 
heart. And then verse 20, as for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately falls away. So the path is like the hard heart and the, and the rocky soil is like a shallow heart. Someone who is, is glad to take in new information and respond to it right away, but there's no depth in there. It doesn't really impact them in a, in a long-term uh, kind of a way. And verse uh, 22. And as for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. All right, this is like what I would consider to be a crowded heart. It's someone who's seeking many things and uh, trying to go for the gusto, get all in this life that they can, and they may hear the gospel. They may hear the word of God, but because other things have captured them and they're here and there and everywhere seeking to, to gain and to, to uh, accumulate things or to gain in power or prestige or anything like that, they're seeking other things. There's, that's, that represents the crowded heart. There's no room for the word of God to make its way in and to settle deep and to begin to produce fruit, all right? But then we finally come to the good soil, all right? Look at verse 23. And as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another 60, and in another 30. Now, most Bible students, scholars, people that would read this parable, most of them believe that the people were, the, the, the word was, was uh, scattered and they received it and yet the birds came away and, and there wasn't really impact. They would say those people are probably not saved. They've not come to know Jesus. The last group, the good soil that bears fruit, most of them would agree that those are believers. But sometimes there's confusion about the uh, rocky soil and the, the, uh, uh, the soil with the thorns. And I think the key is to understanding, well, are those saved people that have just, um, you know, uh, backslid or saved people who are just living a Christian life in a carnal way? I'm thinking those people probably are not saved. Why? Because there's no fruit. And Jesus said in Matthew 7, you'll know them by their fruit. Now, I'm not going to sit and argue about that point. The point is, is that we, our hearts need to be good soil. They need to be what I would call soft and receptive. How do we keep our hearts soft and receptive? By asking God through his word, through prayer, through fellowship, through his grace, to keep plowing them up so that they never get hardened or never begin to grow thorns or the things that are represent the thorns represent in our heart to keep pulling the weeds out of that soil make it good and soft and receptive so when the seed is planted it takes root and goes deep and then produces a stalk and ultimately through perseverance and faithfulness and God's grace produces fruit that's the Christian life. Here in verse 10, go back to verse 10 in chapter 13. 
because I want to talk a little bit about how if you understand the word of God, it's a gift of his grace, okay? Verse 10. Then the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. Now, we, I guess we could sit and go back and forth on, well, was that God's choice not to give it, or was it him knowing their hearts and not giving them the secrets of the kingdom? But to some it has been given, and some it hasn't been given. And then go to verse 16. Jesus says to them, But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see, and to hear what you hear and did not hear. In other words, prophets, people who were faithful to the Lord, were following him, that knew about the promise of a rescue, the promised Messiah, all right? They longed to see the Messiah come. And Jesus is just saying to them, they all longed for that and died with, with the, the hope of the promise, but they saw the fulfillment of that promise. And we have the recorded record of that promise fulfilled in the life of Christ. And we have the spirit within us that guarantees not only our own inheritance, but also gives us that confidence to know that, yes, I have been changed. Jesus was resurrected. I have the hope of resurrection. All the promises that G all the promises in the Old Testament that prophesied about Jesus were either all fulfilled or will be fulfilled. And so you can believe the words of Christ. Let me ask you this. As, as Jesus said to Peter, he says, are you going away like everybody else? You know what Peter said? Lord, you're the only, you're the only person who has the words of eternal life. Some of your sayings might be hard. I may not understand them fully. My flesh may not be willing to receive them and accept them on a certain day. But I can't really find forgiveness, eternal life, and the hope of heaven anywhere else but you. And so Peter stayed the course. And all of them but Judas stayed the course. And all of them but John died a martyr's death because of the resurrected Christ, because of his words. You have to make a decision on the words of Jesus. You believe them, you receive them, you're available to him to bear fruit, or you disregard them and bear no fruit. I mean, it's, it's a pretty clear choice. But know this, that when you do understand the word of God, it's a gift from him to you, all right? Now, let me finish with this last point, which is Jesus' words on kingdom entrance. In other words, how do I get into this kingdom? I want in. How do I get there? All right? So turn, first of all, to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, the story of Jesus and Nicodemus. So John chapter 3, verse 1. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, 
We know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Notice that Jesus doesn't even respond to that. He just speaks right into the heart of Nicodemus. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, which means born from above, born from heaven, born by the Spirit, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter into a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, and there's a lot of thoughts about what water means, but maybe we could just say that water might refer to the baptism of John the Baptist. In other words, you have to be a repentant person who recognizes their spiritual poverty and is willing to come to Jesus as Savior. That, that, rec- that repentance attitude and the Holy Spirit Unless you have those, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Verse 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So most of you, if you know Christ here this morning, you've probably had a time in your life where if you look back on it, you can see how God was speaking his gospel, his hope, his words to you through various situations and and through various people and how the Spirit was drawing you to Christ and to his word. And at a point in time, you surrendered. You know, you you, uh, figuratively may have, you know, bowed your heart and bowed your knees and surrendered to Christ and asked him to come in to be your Lord and Savior, to be the leader of your life. And the Holy Spirit came in and changed you. And Jesus is saying that is necessary to be a part of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Let me read on. He clarifies it a little bit more. Nicodemus said to him, verse 9, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can I tell you, uh, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man, which of course is Christ. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, remember Moses had to make a bronze serpent and lift it up. People had to look on it in order they were, uh, God had uh, uh, given them consequences for disobedience and so he was disciplining them and serpents were biting people and they were dying. So God, Moses appealed to him and he said, God, please save the people, forgive us. And so he made this bronze serpent. So today, I don't know if, if it's just medicine in general, but they have the pole with the serpent wrapped around it sort of as a symbol for uh, medicine, for healing or whatever. That's what it's referring to. So as the serpent was lift, lifted up in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And then a verse that most of the world knows, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. There is only one way to enter this kingdom, and that is through Christ. 
And so this passage makes it very clear. Matter of fact, if you turn over to John 14, please do that real quickly. John 14, right before Jesus goes to the cross, he's teaching them. He says, don't, you know, don't be, uh, uh, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in me, believe in God. I'm going to prepare a place for you. He says, you guys know the way. And, and one of them, I think it was Thomas, yeah, said, Lord, how do we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am life. And no man comes to the Father except through me. You see, culture, the world, would say there's many ways to God. I had a man share that with me just two weeks ago. I was just talking to him as we were walking out of the, the rec center, and uh, I was just being friendly to the people that work at the desk. And he said, oh, you make a good Buddhist. I said, oh, well, Jesus, Jesus is, the, is the person I follow. I worship him. And then he said, well, there's many ways to God. Okay. So we're both in our cars at this point in time. And he says, well, there are many ways to God. I said, well, Jesus would disagree with that. <laughs> and he says, well, that's the problem I have with you Christians. And then I had to make the decision, okay, am I going to have a long conversation here or am I going to wait? So I just said, well, you know, that's, I just, I want to share the truth with you that Jesus is the only way and maybe you should investigate that a little bit more. But I said, I'll be glad to talk to you at any point in time. I, I haven't seen him since, but anyway, I guess pray that maybe he'll be open to sitting down and, and just talking about it. So let, let me close with these words from um, Matthew chapter seven. If you want to turn back to Matthew because we not only need to hear the God, but hear the word of God, but we need to act upon it, right? So this is a passage that Grant shared about three weeks ago, Matthew 7, verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them. We're talking about the words of Jesus. When you hear his words and do them, he will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. If you want to have a life that's basically unshakable, no matter what happens, then build your house on the rock. Hear Jesus' words and then do them. Apply them. Kind of like Ezra said, study them, live them, teach them. And that's the correct order, by the way. Study God's word, live God's word, teach God's word. And then go back to the beginning. Study God's word, live God's word, teach God's word. And then verse 28 and 29. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. One more statement of astonishment. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. In other words, ultimate authority has spoken. The words of Jesus. Let's pray.